and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Over the seething rabbits in 1607 came a fellow by the name of Christopher Newport. He had landed his goods and people up at a place called Jamestown on the James River, and then ten days later, he sailed up the James letter to a, uh, James River to a place that is called the Falls, that is now called Richmond, Virginia. That's what the reason why we call Richmond, Virginia, the birthplace of the nation. And it was in 1993 when the Lord spoke to my heart as a practicing attorney in Southern California, saying, "Son, I want you to." plead my cause of the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. And then, after forming Save America Ministries to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom, he said, now, I want you to sell everything that you have, 30 years of business, ministry, and political investment in Southern California, and go to the birthplace of the nation, and I'll show you what to do. Well, that was in 1993, and next month, we complete... 26 years on the air live every day, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. It was in 1619 that that same place called Richmond, Virginia, became, well, kind of the epicenter for representative government and also slavery. In other words, Richmond, Virginia is at the very heart of our country. It's at the very soul of our country, for both good and bad, good and ill, Richmond, Virginia. But Richmond is the capital of a state called Virginia. And Virginia takes us back to the very earliest days of our country. It takes us back to men like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and uh, all of those good boys, James Madison and so on, all who were inhabitants of a state called Virginia. Also a fellow by the name of Patrick Henry, who also in Richmond, Virginia, at the St. John's Church in 1774, gave a famous address uh, summarized by Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. All of that right here, where we broadcast here today on the shores of America's birth river, the James River. Well, joining us today on Viewpoint is a very special guest. I'm not I'm not sure she has ever joined us here on this program before, but it's my privilege to bring on Victoria Cobb, who is the president of the Virginia Family Foundation, the Virginia Family Foundation, and their headquarters is located in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Virginia, it's uh, Gloria. It's good to have you on board. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here, Victoria right. Cobb. You've got a, You've got a great name. Uh, it sounds like victory is on the uh, march. Yes, uh, I. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't thank my parents enough because it, it, if you don't have a positive perspective with victory in your name, <laughs> you <know. laughs> well, you've got to have a positive perspective doing the kinds of things that you do, and we're going to explore some of that. But why is it that we would say that Virginia is at the very heart and soul of the country? 
Wow, you you did a great job sort of summing up the history of our Commonwealth. We are actually, Richmond is home still to the longest continuously meeting legislature in the Western Hemisphere. For better or for worse, right? Yes, and, uh, you know, it has had its good moments. Uh, mm-hmm. I would argue lately it's not had some good moments. Um, but, yeah, we it, it really is sort of, and it's also the home of the Statute of for Religious Freedom. Yes. A lot of people don't think about that, but Jefferson penned those words into our Constitution, which really was the model for religious freedom around the world. Right. Um, so some amazing things have happened here, and now we sit just an hour and a half out of the nation's capital, and so uh, what happens here impacts there, what happens there impacts in Richmond. So it's... It's a pivotal. It's a pivotal spot. When we first came to Richmond, Virginia, we came first to explore. We went to a large church uh, on a Sunday morning, and afterward, asked to meet with the pastor. And uh, he took us into his office, and we shared with him our story and the sense of calling to this place. And uh, and having formed Save America Ministries as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, I said. Can you give us an idea why God might have called us to this place? And here's what he said. He said, I don't know, Chuck, whether I know specifically why God called you to this place, but he said, this I know. Industry looks at this city, Richmond, Virginia, as the premier testing ground for the nation, saying, brother, if it will work in Richmond, it will work anywhere. Well, we have since learned that that is exactly right and that it has been a testing ground for the nation. And more recently, we have discovered that one of the premier radio stations in this birth city of the Commonwealth and of the nation is now declaring that Virginia is at the very heart and soul of the nation. They're saying it every day. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, There's no question in my mind that it is. You know, what happens here has impact. And, uh, you know, it used to be we talk about, you know, we're the, the, the home of the presidents because we've birthed so many presidents. But right. so much more than that. It is just um, the reality that um, it has an amazing rich history. I believe that God um, has worked mightily. We, we actually have people here. Actually, in our building, we actually lease some space in our building to a man who's from Rwanda. And he feels called to set up his prophetic ministry in Richmond over America. Interesting. He, here, he picked this location, wanted to be near the capital, and it's literally his call because he believes God spiritually is doing something here, which I think is amazing, and I love the fact that I've got prayer warriors right next door in our in our property uh, praying over this city, but also this nation through this city. Well, Victoria, you have to know that if indeed God has that kind of a, uh, a calling— on some individuals, that his arch enemy, Satan, also has a similar calling on individuals and whole people groups. And what I have experienced since 1993, when we first came to this city, I've experienced a complete overturn of that which seemed to be at the very heart and soul of Richmond, Virginia, and even Virginia itself. The government has turned on its head and it's on its heel, away from God, the God who made and preserved us a nation, and we have been set on an opposite trajectory that is setting the stage for the entire country, it seems. 
Without a doubt. And that trajectory that you're talking about has really accelerated. The last couple of years, there are people who are waking up in Virginia today going, what has happened even in just a couple of years? You don't even have to have been here 30 years to see that something is radically different in our public policy, in the way it impacts families, in literally what you feel and see and hear on the streets of Richmond and throughout our Commonwealth. And it is it is absolutely the case that I believe that, to your point, uh, where God is working, Satan is also working to undermine. And uh, we have seen that. Uh, we've seen that in our government. Um, and, I, I mean, just replete with examples I can share about um, just policies that are the absolute antithesis of so much good that has that ground that was laid. We have, you know, things like... And that is echoing all across the country. And we'll get into that after this break. Friends, we're talking with... Uh... Uh, Victoria Cobb, the president of the Family Foundation of Virginia, much to talk about here. And you may see what's happening in Virginia happening in your state. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're talking with Victoria Cobb. Uh, she's the president of the Virginia Family Foundation. We're going to talk more about what that is because you may very well have a family foundation in your state. And we'll talk about how those developed and when they developed. But uh, we brought Victoria on here today not just to talk about Virginia and Virginia politics, but to see how what is happening here is actually echoing across the entire country. You thought, or probably thought, that in California, that was the heart and soul of all things liberal. Well, you just haven't been in Richmond, Virginia, or in Virginia for the last two to three years. Because what happened in California that we thought we left has actually come in spades in this birth city and state of the country. And so that's the reason why we wanted to bring Victoria on to talk about this. And let's talk, first of all, uh, Victoria, about the Family Foundation. I remember when we first came here, I was introduced to a fellow by the name of Walt Barbie, a very dear fellow. Uh, we had developed some quite sweet fellowship together, in a that, that is, in a rightful sense, and uh he was a great man until he got bit by a tick, and it literally sucked the life out of him, did it? Yeah, unfortunately, he did end up, um, he actually ended up dying out of cancer. But, um, yeah, a, a <clears throat> wonderful man, great vision for what the Commonwealth was supposed to be and what it needed to be to raise uh, godly kids. Well, it takes men with vision like that, and he, he was not what you would call sort of a high and mighty kind of high flyer type of guy. It did seem that to me. He was a down-to-earth fellow who had a sincere conviction and was willing to do something about it. Yeah, I mean, he was a commercial airline and a, a airline pilot and a dad. He just saw what was being taught to his kids 
in family life education. That's what Virginia calls their sex ed. And he said, enough is enough. Parents need to kind of push back. And quickly, he started speaking out and finding out all over Virginia there were other areas where parents were very upset. And he was he basically just started an entire grassroots movement that became the Family Foundation. And then that echoed now across the country by means of focus on the family, didn't it? In the yeah, day right. that is in the days of uh, Dr. James Dobson when he uh, was the founder and head of Focus on the Family. Yeah, I mean this was uh, you know we were founded in 1985 right around that time Dr. Dobson was realizing if he wanted to see the kinds of wonderful family thriving that he talked about as a you know as a psych- psychologist mm-hmm. he needed to see the kind of public policy that allowed that to flourish. And he realized that happens at the state level. So he really got a vision with another, a bunch of other amazing men and women of that time and said, we've got to have something in every state that is working towards creating the kind of environment that allows religious freedom to thrive and parental rights. Well, our lives uh, revolved in many respects around uh, Dr. James Dobson and his wife, Shirley, there in Arcadia, California, where Focus on the Family was formed. Uh, he happened to have been our Sunday school teacher, believe it or not, for several years and was the first donor to my uh, political campaign for the California legislature back in 1776. So it takes us back a ways. Uh, he now has formed a family talk. I think he's been uh, heading that up for about uh, 10 years now. But the Family Foundation has continued. Uh, how many states is it in now? Yeah, there's basically, generically, we're all called family policy councils, and mm-hmm. we all have slightly different names, but there's about 40 of us. So we're not quite in every state, but probably mm-hmm. in a state. Uh, you know, your listeners, are if they're in a state, they probably has one. They're all a little different. They're named a little differently, but we're all passionate about making sure that we are creating a state that has strong families that are guided by faith and protected by a principal government. When you say policy council, uh Flesh that out for us a little bit. Absolutely. So these organizations focus, instead of thinking about what's happening in D.C., although that has great impact on all of our lives, mm-hmm. uh, these organizations are really focused at the state and local level. And, you know, just in the same way that you think about, um, you know, when they make laws, you know that there are, you know, if you're making a law about energy, there's a million lobbyists that are there advocating on behalf of every different interest in a bill. Well, these groups are there advocating for godly principles. So families, you know, everyday people are running their, their businesses and they're raising their families, but there are people who are in your state capital and they're in your local, in Virginia we call them board of supervisors, but whatever your local government is, these folks are there helping our elected officials understand legislation through principles like life is sacred from conception till natural death. So let's be careful when we make laws that we're honoring God's vision for uh, the unborn or for end-of-life decisions. But when Uh, you have a governor who is a pediatrician who declared on national television that if a baby was born and escaped the abortion, that, well, he would just lay it out on the table, have a conversation with the parents, and decide whether to kill it. It is a stunner. Uh, now, those so much actually, for so much for the Hippocratic oath: do no harm. Well, this is the thing we've had to learn, and I learned it when he was a senator that you almost have to look at some elected officials, even though they may also be doctors. They are first and foremost 
people who are elected by the dollars that come from the abortion industry. Mm. And that is the case. That is the case with our governor. He was well funded through groups like Emily's List that come out of the abortion industry. And so when he speaks, it often does not reflect the understanding of a governor. It reflects a politician. And it is hard when someone is a in this case, a pediatric neurologist. We had the same thing this year on uh, Virginia decided to legalize recreational marijuana. And you have a governor who clearly knows the health impact of this, Mm -hmm. but instead was looking at it from, you know, I am an elected official on a certain political agenda funded by certain people. And so we want to be the first state in the South that makes this legal. Mm. So much for a state that wanted to be in leadership for that which was true, that which was right, uh, that which which was consistent with the Constitution and consistent with the Declaration of Independence. It seems uh, like we've kind of sworn off of those principles. There's no question, and, you know, I always tell people, uh, we don't live in North Korea. Our government reflects the decisions we have made as voters. And so when we look at our elected officials in Virginia, and many of us weep over some of the decisions that are being made right now, and um, we know there are states like California and Massachusetts that have been struggling in, in some of these kind of policies for a long time, it's, it's relatively new to Virginians, and, uh, and we are sad, but I, but I do tell people um, th- these are a result of whether the church is engaged. Does the church understand biblical principle? Do we value our stewardship? Do we see voting as a gift that God has given us? You know, we, we tell pastors all the time, we meet with them, we say, we just believe the Bible when he says, when the righteous govern, the people rejoice, and when mm-hmm. the wicked rule, they groan. We just believe God's word, and that is true. We're seeing that play out, but it's a matter of, is the church actively understanding biblical principle and applying it to our civic responsibilities? Mm. I, uh, in preparation for this program, went to the all-encompassing, truth-dispensing Wikipedia and uh, <laughs> and looked up Family Foundation of Virginia. And what I discovered is that the way the article was written up was so continuously disparaging and uh, it was a, a, a definite put-down, calling you a radical, fundamentalist uh, organization, when it seems to me that all you stand for is the Constitution, the Bible, and the Declaration of Independence. In other words, the fundamentals of our country. Yeah. What's you know, wrong with um, that? <laughs> we think it's pretty basic stuff. We think not only is it what is contained in God's Word, but I... But I believe that God's Word isn't just a recipe for the hereafter. God's Word is the creator of all things telling us how they work. So we extract these principles out of Scripture that say things like, you know, kids do best with a mom and a dad. You know, it talks about how a fam- what a family was meant to be. And we actually look around and we look at social science and we see that it, it actually bears out. Um, so we think it's, it's not only fundamental in the sense of it is part of God's original design, but it's also... <laughs> It's also socially science backed up, but um, these days, um, even though you'll see lots of signs in neighborhoods, I don't know if you guys have them uh, where you all are around the country, but we see these signs, you know, we trust science, um, except where there's an agenda behind it, all of a sudden 
science gets tossed out the window, and we, we yeah. like to say any any configuration of a family is equally valid for one's outcomes in life. Well, science has been be- abused. Science yes. itself is a word that has been totally co-opted for political purposes uh, and to try to convince the average person that indeed what is being presented or promoting as science is in fact to be respected when the opposite is oftentimes the truth. And uh, so we have to be very careful about the use of the word science, don't we? It's unfortunate, honestly, that that is where we are, but we know when human life is denied in the womb and yet you can see it in an ultrasound, technology is proving Mm -hmm. out what the things that that we have said. Um, I used to tell people I was pro-life by faith long before I was in high school and got to see the beauty of DNA and got to understand how it all works. But, you know, then you you get to see it when you become a mom and you, you get to see that first ultrasound and you, you actually literally see this six weeks along this teeny tiny. I mean, it is so small on your screen, mm-hmm. but there's a heartbeat. And so you sit there and think, you know, this isn't just a matter of faith. It's it's it is biologically fact, and then it's beautifully illustrated through technology. Well, that's why Planned Parenthood didn't want uh, people coming in and being able to see those ultrasounds. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, we had quite a battle in our Commonwealth that simply was over the issue of ensuring that if a woman is going to make a decision that you or I would hope she wouldn't, but if she's going to move forward with an abortion, that if she gets an ultrasound, she would be allowed to see it, that she has a right to see her ultrasound. Now, in every other medical scenario, we look around and we think, of course you can see your lab results. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always allowed that information, but in the abortion industry, that information is essentially hidden from the woman. And we, you know, we passed a law. It just simply said she should have access if she wants it. All in the name, all in the name of women's rights, right? Oh, absolutely. This should, this is ultimately a way of providing the most informed consent you could actually get. So we passed that law under great controversy and public mockery around the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mischaracterized in every way possible. Um, but unfortunately, this is also one of the reversals. Uh, we had tremendous pro-life laws passed over the course of 50 years mm-hmm. that were all all undone in one bill as soon as a more liberal uh, ideology took place in our in our legislature. One bill stripped it all away. So we're Unbelievable. Back to, so We're back to women have no right to see their ultrasound. They don't get 24 hours to think about it. They actually can't even be guaranteed a doctor will do their abortion. It's tragic. One vote. One no. vote could have changed it all. And this is why uh, you have such passion, Victoria, and those that are working with you to do everything you can to convince the legislators in uh, Virginia and the others like you in the other 40 states that are also part of this policy organization uh, to try to uh, convince them that the only way to go is that which is consistent with the Creator, that which is consistent with our Constitution, and that which is consistent with uh, what we know to be true and honest and an expression of genuine uh, loving citizenship. Well, that was the beauty of our Constitution, was actually that those men and women, whether or not they literally were Jesus followers, the people of that day had such biblical worldview that they understood the role of government. They understood how God designed human flourishing. And so those principles got extracted in, in large part from the Bible into our Constitution. Now, did they get everything right? No, we wouldn't have dealt with slavery the way we have and all the fallout from that. But largely, 
they understood what it was intended to be and tried to set up those that framework for all of us to be able to walk out a life that is abundant. Stripping all the monuments from Monument Avenue that was a worldwide of worldwide fame hasn't done anything to change uh, racism or the his- history of slavery, has it? Well, this is just the thing. We all know that racism is a matter of the heart. It is yes. a matter of sin. It is not... Um, it is not a, an issue of a statue. It's an issue of human beings that are alive and harming others. And so you look down Monument Avenue, and now it's, I jokingly say it's called Pedestal Avenue because they've mm-hmm. taken all the statues off the top, and we're left with these weird yeah. pedestals down the middle. And they're filled with graffiti and every yeah. nasty uh, vestige of communication one could imagine. Yes. And we understand the anger is real and the and the hurt is real, but the but the way this has played out just isn't getting us to solutions. Mm. We're just not getting to hearts and mind change that we need. All right, friends, I want to make available to you my book, Renewing the Soul of America. One person at a time, beginning with you. It's an eighteen dollar book, yours for fifteen dollars. It's on our website. Thirty eight national Christian leaders endorse that book. In fact, Walt Barbie actually promoted that book the founder of the Family Foundation. I urge you to get a copy of it. If you haven't read it, it'll be so encouraging. Renewing the Soul of America. SaveUs.org. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, SaveUs.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. There are close to 9 million people living in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's not one of the larger states in the Union, but it carries one of the largest impacts of any state in the Union. And that impact is growing and is a reflection of what is happening morally and spiritually at every aspect of our country. About 36% of the population lives in the Baltimore-Washington metropolitan area. In other words, it's surrounding our national government. So we affect not only our own commonwealth, but also the national government in a very, very big way. Most of the great founders of the country, many of them, were Virginia citizens as we've already indicated in the early part of this program. But we have grown away from our founding. We have lost our way in huge ways. One of the things that our special guest today was became renowned for, in fact, the Washington Post called our guest today, Virgi- uh, Victoria Cobb, the new Phyllis Schlafly, for her role in defeating the ERA Amendment. This was back in 2019. Tell us about that ERA amendment battle. 
Well, many of your listeners might remember if they're old enough that this has been going on for decades and yeah. decades and decades. This is since the nineteen uh, seventies. That's exactly right. And in fact, the concept was this was this amendment that they wanted to add to the U.S. Constitution to quote create equal rights for women is how it was originally created. Mm-hmm. Now, Phyllis Schlafly, in in all of her wisdom, understood that what they were trying to do was enshrine an abortion right. That that would be a fundamental part. If you actually got the Equal Rights Amendment, it would sort of enshrine abortion into our U.S. Constitution in a way that it hadn't been before. And so mm-hmm. it had been, you know, you need 38 states to ratify. They had a deadline. They did not get 38 states. They extended the deadline. They still did not get 38 states. And then states they tried to, to resurrect the deadline. And then they tried to resurrect it. You are right on point. And mm-hmm. so essentially 30 years later, whatever it is, actually more than that, they come back, try to bring this thing back to life as if it's still valid and convince Virginia's desperately convincing Virginia's General Assembly that they need to be, quote, the 38th state, although some had actually rescinded. And so it it is quite a battle. And unfortunately, what we would tell people is now this ERA, which actually doesn't use the word women, it's actually equal rights for any gender, we would try to explain to them, at least in the 70s, there was a societal shared agreement that there were two sexes. Uh, (laughs) We are now in 20... 20, or at this point it was 2019 or whatever, you know, and society can't even agree there is male and female. So we're giving equal rights to who knows exactly what. And so the left knew within this amendment they had the Trojan horse, because it sounded great, to bring in every ounce of abortion rights and every ounce of uh, transgender rights into the U- you know at the U.S. constitutional level. So that's why the battle has been so intense over this one item that should have been dead so long ago. All right, Victoria, over the past uh, couple of days, the uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association has come out and declared that they are 100% in favor of allowing transgender guys to compete in women's sports without any uh, question whatsoever. How would the Family Foundation respond to that? Yeah, we have been part of the battle to ensure uh, not just um, in this case, uh, these are girls' rights to be able to play their sport, excel in their sport, and actually for a lot of girls, this is a matter of scholarship. This is a matter of can they pave their way to college by being excellent don't you don't you think victoria that that position that the national college uh, athletic association has taken is actually uh spelling the death knell of uh, women's sports oh i mean the bottom line is feminism what used to be housed in this idea of feminism and making sure there was title nine and there were adequate funds for both men's and women's all of that is is going to be entirely undone by the idea that a biological male can participate within a woman's sport organization what position Uh, is being taken in the virginia legislature concerning that well unfortunately we have a weird situation in virginia where our public schools have a separate sports league basically and that league went ahead several years ago and actually paved the way for biological boys. So this has been a challenge in our Commonwealth for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually the first piece of the transgender agenda that got through in Virginia that we've been trying to block. And now, uh, this year, uh, we actually, in Virginia schools, will have not just the sports, but there's uh, model guidelines that they're expecting every school board shall adopt. 
and it it impacts the uh, locker rooms, bathrooms, overnight stays. It impacts uh, compelled pronouns, as we like to say, mm-hmm. not, not not preferred. We're going to compel everyone um, to to be involved with this. So this this transgender uh, sort of agenda of ensuring um, a world where we don't question anything um, has unfortunately is playing out in every space and obviously impactful on the sports. Who would have ever believed when when we first came to Richmond, Virginia, 1993, and I, as the National Day of Prayer, uh, I I, I was heading up the National Day of Prayer Task Force for Virginia. Uh, In fact, the first year I did it for my law office in California, believe it or not, and uh, came to to Virginia, to the State House, and with uh, the governor there, uh, George Allen gathered his staff together in his conference room, and we actually held hands together there and prayed. And there was a cohesiveness there in the Virginia State House that would provide a biblical basis and foundation for the entire Commonwealth. All of well, that has been turned on its head in just a matter of two or three years, hasn't it? Yeah, we are absolutely uh, now praying for, on the outside, a restoration of that. It is a year where Virginia gets to make decisions in the election. Mm-hmm. We have This year we have everything from the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and the entire House of Delegates. All of that is available for us as voters to make decisions about. Wow, so you've got work like, cut out for you, sister. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. We do a lot to educate, particularly the church, particularly the body of Christ, yeah. about what is happening and what kinds of changes are needed. And so I tell people, if you don't like what it's looked like the last couple of years, the only thing we can't change this year is the Senate. And even that, which is um, sort of the liberal to conservative bent, is pretty closely split there. There's 40 seats, and it's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. And the tie break right now, that's the lieutenant governor. So we can at least even impact the tie break um, right. when things get so tight. So there's a lot of ability for people to kind of recapture that vision of what you're talking about when it was the days where prayer and biblical principle was the basis of what we were trying to accomplish as a commonwealth. We could get back to that. That's our choice. Yeah, it is our choice. And, uh, you know, as the, as the Scripture says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I have a gorgeous uh, plaque uh, in our gallery wall here at this Christian embassy on the shores of the James to declare just that. Now, as you are heading up the Family Foundation, which is a very, very important uh, institution uh, and effort, what do you actually do? You say you're dealing with policy, but give us some insight as to how you carry that out. Well, sure. Um, I, you know, I'll take the transgender issue as an example. So uh, there's a lot of bills that are seeking to advance uh, what we would argue is a breakdown of the genders in all sorts of ways. So the first thing we're doing is we are trying to educate legislators on the impact of that. We're trying to help citizens. We're trying to connect them to their legislators because legislators only care so much about what I say um, simply because we're the family foundation. They know that what I say is because I'm representing. Yeah, they think you're just a mere lobbyist, right? Yeah, right. But you have to help people, actually, their own voters, have the voice and the effectiveness to actually themselves send an email, make a phone call at that pivotal moment 
where those decisions are being made. But once, I mean, our work goes so much beyond that because once, even once a bad law is made, so, you know, I, I mentioned this transgender model guidelines, mm-hmm. you know, so we engage in that whole process. Okay, we get some very terrible model guidelines. Well, now we have a law center called the Founding Freedoms Law Center. Those guidelines violate so many of our laws. They are against our parental rights law. They actually include an idea that we're going to deceive parents. So what do we do next? We take them to court. And then we also are working with all these school boards. We want school boards to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to, in our county, enforce these model guidelines that are against parental rights. So it's every component from the General Assembly down to the local level and even into the courtroom. What I have been, what has shocked me is that even in some of the more conservative, politically conservative counties uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, they have capitulated, caved in to this wokeness of uh, commanding that you not use he or she, for instance, in addressing uh, people in the classroom. Uh, how in the world has this ever taken hold in so-called conservative districts? Well, we have to remember that when these issues arise in a school, it's because there's an individual who's confused about their gender, who's struggling. And out of that pain of the struggle, these parents come to bat for this child. And they are basically standing at the school saying, my child is hurting and we need to do everything possible. And so they they throw around words like bullying and, and stigmatization and no adult in, in education wants a child to be bullied or stigmatized. And we, in Virginia, at our family foundation, we would stand strong with laws that say no child should be harmed or bullied. But the reality is um, that doesn't mean to say that a biological boy should be walking into a girl's bathroom. So the reality is that through the passing of these kinds of legislation, they are actually legislating bullying of the majority of the population. That's right. You take a small group of people, and out of that, you then impose on the large majority of folks who are going to have some issues, particularly people of faith, with participating in the use of pronouns, for example, or deceiving parents. There's going to be a lot of administrators who are not going to want to hide from the parent a child's confusion, and the the guidelines would say if those parents don't seem to be affirming, you pretend like this isn't happening within the school. So a child could have a legal name and a legal gender and supposed to be in a boy's bathroom. Within the school, they're supposed to treat that child how they feel. But if their parents don't affirm, then what do we do? We, we go back to pretending yeah. that we're not doing it. And that. it doesn't matter how the rest of the kids feel. It's only the one or two that are causing the change to take place. Friends, we're talking with Victoria Cobb here. She is the president of the Family Foundation of Virginia. And what you're hearing here is exploding all over the country. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. 
incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. It appears Virginia is going to look unrecognizable in the coming years, thanks to some members of the General Assembly who finally succumbed to the pressure of the gambling industry to approve casino gambling under the promises that it will create more state tax revenues and supposedly save some local economies. Friends, remember what the scripture says, the love of money, the root of all evil, that's what it's all about. Our guest today, Victoria Cobb, president of the uh, Family Foundation of Virginia. Uh, what do you do about this, Victoria? Well, there's no question that we have, uh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is happening all over the country, and uh, the legislators are forgetting any kind of moral considerations that used to be at the foundation, and it's all about money. Yeah, we need voters need to really understand where the the funding for a candidate comes from. When it comes from Emily's List, the main abortion provider, when it comes from in Virginia it's called a Quality Virginia, but whoever your state's leading LGBT advocacy group is, it's going to be very hard to move them off of the agenda that those groups bring to the table. And so that is a way that you can get a feel of what kind of legislator this candidate would be. That requires uh, people to uh, be acquainted, to figure out, to research, to stay in touch with what's really happening, doesn't it? Yes, and at the Family Foundation, we try to create a lot of voter transparency tools. Our, our, we look at it this way. Some of our elected officials that are up for re-election, ha- they have a voting record. Why don't we look and see how they voted? They have money that has already come in. Why don't we look and see who's endorsed them? And even when you're a first-time candidate, those things can be determined. Who's endorsing you? Who's sending you money? And so we try to create both a report card, which is really about existing votes, and then we also create voter guides, which is simply a head-to-head matchup of where do these people stand on the issues. If they've been in office, we look at their votes first. If they haven't, we ask them, what do you believe about these things? And then we check, is that validated in your public statements, in your giving, in your, in your uh, connections? Well, we know that birds of a feather do flock together, so you can largely track a person's ostensible beliefs by where they get their money. I wish it weren't so, so much the case, but that is true. You really can tell, and, and honestly, we, we often have said, when we watched this particular governor uh, do such an overwhelming job of just rolling back every pro-life law we have ever put on the books, mm-hmm. we said, well, he's repaying the millions that he got from Emily's List. It's, yeah. just, it's just payback. That's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, I to me, to me, that is the root of corruption. There's no question that that is the challenge in our in our nation. And I would say this, for, for Christians, when you find a great pro-family candidate, somebody that understands uh, biblical foundations and is running for office, we should get behind them. We should get behind them with our action. And if we have the ability to, to help them move forward financially, we should do that. So 
I mean, you know, because they're up against these gigantic packs and industries that mm-hmm. um, are not fearing God and are not interested in candidates like that. And so it, it, it puts them at a real struggle. Well, the question then is, how do we know who they are? When elections well, come around, you hear all of these uh, television and radio commercials, and they're all uh, trying to put their best foot forward and make people think that they're something other than they are. Uh, how are we supposed to discern? Yeah, I, I highly recommend that no matter what state you're in, there's probably a family policy council and they do a voter guide. That's getting an outside perspective. That's somebody who's trying to cut through the clutter mm-hmm. and, and, and tell you what they actually have done and what they actually have said, not what's on the flick flyer, not what you're seeing in the commercial. So, you know, for ours at familyfoundation.org, you know, come October in the general election, you're going to be able to look for your House of Delegates, which is what we call our, you know, our House, and, and you can go look for your governor candidates, and you're going to be able to know this is where they stand. This is what they've done. This is who's backing them. All and right, it's so, very important we do our research. So are you supposed to be looking for who has a D or an R or an I behind their name? I wish it were that simple. I mean, I, you know, you certainly can look at parties and you know that parties do have a party platform. So you should be aware of what the parties themselves stand for and who funds the parties. But they are still individuals. So you have to do research beyond that. I cannot mm-hmm. tell you how many folks think it's as simple as a party label. It is not. That might be step one. That might help you get a general idea. But, boy, I, I can tell you there are people in both parties that are absolutely uh, naive to the impact of the entire LGBT yep. agenda, particularly on religious freedom. I can, I can tell you in both parties uh, there are a lot of people who believe that if we just um, – that, that, that this this agenda that is being pushed into our schools is just about being kind. And yet what we find is it actually means that believers can't walk out their faith in secular environments. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tough thing. Yeah, it's very tough, and it's getting tougher by the day. Uh, we know that this kind of problem takes place when we look at the trajectory of a Supreme Court to Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, boy, did he betray what people thought he was. Yeah, this is a challenge. Uh, judges are really, it's a real challenge to get a judge. You have to have, you have to pick from judges who have already written a lot about these issues so you can actually see what's in their existing opinions. Mm-hmm. And then they have to be sort of outside the sway of, I mean, you've got to find somebody that isn't worried about perception. And the challenge is uh, human beings are worried about what other human beings think. And so a lot of people believe that Roberts may be valuing the, quote, legacy of the court more than really looking at every individual decision. And, yes, it has been very disappointing. Um, I think we're, we're thrilled to see that so far somebody like Amy uh, Coney Barrett has been a little bit more predictable and, and as we thought she would be. Um, mm-hmm. But this is, these are, this is the challenge. And in some states you elect your judges. So in those states voters play a role in picking uh, godly men and women that can, that can stand up under pressure. In our, in our commonwealth we don't actually get to vote for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, we very much have to... Again, that's another reason why our legislature is so important. Voting for our legislature is how we end up with good judges. Yeah. Now, what do you say to pastors? Oh, boy. Where to start? Um, (laughs) I speak to pastors pastors. constantly on this radio program and uh, try to woo them and warn them and... uh, they become, you know, we're, we're in a situation, Victoria, where the pastors have become virtual politicians and the politicians uh, think they're pastors. 
Well, and this is, uh, the pastors, I mean, if you look scripturally, their call, it is a high calling. It is. And there is high accountability to preach the whole counsel of the truth and not to lead anyone astray. And so they have a high calling. And so we try to encourage them in that high calling, that, that there's really something beautiful about that. But in this moment, what I'm saying to pastors in a lot of cases is that when we have bad ideas and they become public policy, you have victims, you have human beings and families that are broken as a result of, the, for example, the confusion that we're, that we're literally sowing into elementary classrooms about gender is mm-hmm. going to result in kids that need the church, that need shepherding in a way they have never, we never imagined. So these pastors, what they've already been doing in providing spiritual care for their congregation, in Virginia we tell them, look, you now have counselors sitting in your congregation that are, it is illegal for them to counsel children who have same-sex attraction towards a biblical view about their gender or their Isn't orientation. that amazing? That's illegal. Talk and about so we 1984. We're, we're in, in, in a, uh, an unbelievable state. Uh, so pastors have to preach to their congregations, this is what it looks like to have a cost associated with your faith. It might be your counseling license. Mm-hmm. And we tell our youth pastors, guess what? It's not illegal for you to help that child. So guess what? <laughs> we need the church to step up. Um, you know, we tell <laughs> pastors in Virginia, there are parents all across our Commonwealth evaluating they've had their kids in public school. And this, with these transgender guidelines coming to every hill and valley, parents are going, what do I do? Where's the Christian school? Can I afford the Christian school? Uh, we just start telling these pastors that your role, your shepherding, in addition to your strong preaching, is so needed. As it gets darker, people will need the light more and more. Absolutely. Uh, yesterday's program here on Viewpoint was about uh, the question, is your life a lighthouse? And uh, we uh, talked very seriously about the meaning of a lighthouse and it's almost the opposite of what most people think a lighthouse is for. Most and, Christians uh, have not had to stand in a tough environment in America, and exactly. that is changing. That and is I hope the, we're ready. And you are a wonderful representative, Victoria. They have selected the right person and kept the right person uh, in your role. You're extremely articulate. You've got the heart for it. Uh, you understand the issues. And I just want to personally thank you for uh, what you're doing in uh, standing in the gap in the particular role that you have. Uh, we can't, you know, when we formed Save America Ministries, a uh, pastor friend of mine uh, came to me one day in Southern California. He said, Chuck, what are you doing now? And I said, well, we just formed Save America Ministries. And he said, well, at least you didn't bite off more than you could chew. <laughs> so in a sense, it's more than any of us can chew, but we still you know, we're just like little individual teeth in the mouth uh, of the Lord to to bring light and truth and uh, to try to keep things on the straight and narrow as best we can. We all have our sphere of influence, and if we all reflect the light within whatever our sphere is, it will be brighter. Yeah. So uh, those who are listening in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, what do you want to say to them concerning the Family Foundation of Virginia? Well, certainly they can get any information they want about the issues or even about the, the big election choices we have this year at the familyfoundation.org, so just familyfoundation.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want them to understand that um, while it feels dark, we can make a change. That is within our control if we care enough and wake the church up and invite other people to come alongside and make a difference. 
Would you say that our uh, spiritual condition determines our politics, or our politics uh, reflect our spiritual condition? Oh, well, it, no, no question. What we see in politics is a reflection of our hearts, and so it is a spiritual battle from the beginning. But I would say this, policy can make it a lot harder for the gospel of Jesus Christ to get into those dark places. You got it's that illegal, right. It gets harder and harder. So it's, it, it's a little mixture of both, but certainly mm. we know this is spiritual long before it's ever political. Pray for us. Wow. Um, Lord God, Just we just want to uh, ask your hand in um, our nation, and we just know that you can bring dead things back to life, and we pray for a revival. Mm. Indeed, we do. That's our only hope, isn't it? That's our only hope. It's our only hope. We pray for revival. And friends, revival begins with you. It begins with me. That's why when I wrote the book, Renewing the Soul of America, the publisher actually created the byline. One person at a time, beginning with you. Save America. Renewing the Soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. If you want to be inspired, if you want to have direction, if you want to find out why 38 national Christian leaders unprecedented endorsed this particular book, you got to read it. Because what they found in that book is answers that nobody else had written about. Because it was all about the heart. We have over 500 quotations from our nation's history, and yes, even from Virginia's history, from our nation's history right there in that book. Talk about encouragement and direction and hope for such a time as this. I hope you'll get a copy. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, the name of the book, Renewing the Soul of America. Do you want the soul of America to be renewed? It's going to have to begin with revival. You can't revive a pagan because they're dead already. Only those who profess the name of Christ can be revived. And so the scripture says, revive us again. Revive us again, that we might rejoice in you. Lord Victoria, thank you so much for joining us here on Viewpoint today. God bless you and uh, protect you. You shared an awful lot of things with us here, and uh, you are God's person for the hour. Thanks so much for having me. All right, friends, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless, be a blessing, and remember... Only righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.